Hello, and welcome to The Potential State. My name is Dr. Salvo Manelli, and today I'm going to talk to you about the Pursuer Distancer Dance. The dance or the dynamic in many professional and personal relationships where one of the partner keeps chasing, keeps wanting more than the other, whether it's touch, intimacy, sex, connection, quality time, and the other is distancing himself. And the more the pursuer pursues, the more the distancer um, avoids and retreats. And this is based and inspired by Susan Johnson's book and theory, EFT, Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. It's a wonderful book, and I'm going to give my interpretation or the way I work with this concept. So imagine a relationship or a dynamic, whether it's professional, personal, where one partner wants more than the other. And he or she wants more in the sense of more of that specific person. And many times we'll see this, as, and I see this all the time in the clinic, is one of the partners claims to be the one that's more interested into the relationship, more into feelings, more into intimacy. And the other one is, is labeled as a Neanderthal or as emotionally and, um, inept to maintain this relationship. And so what happens is, is that the pursuer is a, it's a role, right? It's not necessarily true. But the pursuer has the facade or the business card or there's, there's an agreement, there's a consensus in the, in the relationship that the pursuer is the one that wants more. And usually they're running and they're chasing and they're begging. Sometimes we call them Oliver Twist. They're begging, please, for some attention, for some sex, for some contact, for some, some communication. And the more they beg, the more pathetic it looks like. And the distancers are like, whoa, this is really pathetic. I don't want this. And they're stuck in this loop. The more you pursue, the more you distance. And actually, part of the work that I do with couples when they come to this scenario, when I recognize this and other dynamics, is to first recognize that. And here's the, the big surprise for these people, is that they're actually at the same level. They're the same level of differentiation in the sense of their ability to be themselves and, each, and to be close to others. They're the same level of emotional maturity and of the ability to be in intimacy. And usually they say, what? I'm always wanting more conversations. Yes, but you've managed to stay in a relationship for years, months, whatever, where you didn't have to be close because there was always this dance, always this buffer. I mean, it was never too close. You try and they move. And the more I work with these couples, I help the pursuers notice where they're actually distancing, where they take a step back when their distancing partner actually takes a step forward. And that takes a long time because pursuers are so locked into their perception that they're the right one. They're the righteous one. They're the martyr that wants more and more and more. And they're just not appreciated. And I just wish that my partner would say one kind word. I wish she would hold my hand. I wish she would take me out. But when we break it down, we see a lot of instances where the distancer actually made a bid. Refer to the emotional bids chapter that we spoke about earlier. And the, the pursuer actually went, went away from that, ignored it, distanced himself. And usually what I find is both partners share some core beliefs, some very uh, deep perceptions of the world and of themselves that they're not worthy. They're not worthy of love or that relationships are dangerous or that intimacy is dangerous. And they have a kind of an implicit agreement to buffer that intimacy, to stay away from that intimacy, just in different roles. And this connects to Schnarch's work, David Schnarch, about the high desire and low desire. 
partner. In every relationship, there's going to be one partner that wants more and one partner that wants less. In this case, the pursuer distance is a bit more extreme because it's kind of rigid roles. Because in every relationship, professional, personal, sometimes I want more, sometimes I want less, depending on what field. But the pursuer distancer dynamic is a very specific dynamic in which the roles are rigid and they're stuck. It almost like becomes like this, this dance that everybody knows their roles. They complain and they moan about it and they fight about it, but nothing really changes. And at the end of the day, they're both very, very lonely. So a lot of times these couples will ask me, well, why are we in this dance? How did this happen? I mean, they usually blame their partner, right? The pursuers will say, well, I, I married a, a Neanderthal who doesn't love me, who doesn't have any feelings, right? It's his fault. That's why. And I hate being a pursuer. The distancer will say, why? God, she's so pathetic. Or he's so pathetic. Why is he chasing me? Doesn't he understand that it's just, it's turning me off? So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll do the secondary gains and secondary losses of each one of these roles. And I want to share with you just a few answers that I've had from the past few weeks. So this pursuer, who's a man in this case, he says, so we're exploring what do you what do you lose? And usually the pursuers know what they lose. They're very connected. They get rejected and low self-esteem and they feel like there's no love and intimacy and eroticism in their marriage or in their relationship. And they feel unappreciated and invisible and taken for granted. Okay, but then I challenge them and I say, what do you gain? What do you gain from being the pursuer? And actually, that's their blind spot. And a lot of times, the kind of answers we see is they get to control. They get at least, I'm, I'm always going to initiate. So it's, it's going to, ha- the, the intimacy is going to happen on my watch when I initiate. And I get crumbs. So from time to time, I beg, I beg, and then I'll get a little bit of something. A little bit of attention, a little bit of touch, a little bit of intimacy. And there's a sense of this martyr, like the appreciation of the environment his, in, his, in his or her own mind and in the environment. Like, wow, he's trying so hard. He's really okay. Look how much he wants her. Look how much he, he initiates evenings out and date nights. So he's, he's gaining this respect and appreciation of himself and of, uh, and of his surroundings. But deep down inside, he knows that this, that's not worth anything. It's comforting, but it's not, that's not actually fulfilling him or her. So once they see that, the first thing they pursue is usually says, I don't want this. I, I can give this up in any way, in, in a moment. But actually, that's not really true. You first need to connect to the fact that this role is giving you a sense of control and giving you a sense of meaning in this relationship. And there's this belief that if I keep pursuing one day, I'll get it. And it it helps them maintain the belief that I want intimacy. I'm mature. I'm actually better than the distancing partner when actually they're just at the same level. They're just doing it differently. They're, They're supposedly pursuing, but they're actually agreeing to being in an in a relationship that doesn't have intimacy, friendship, closeness. So that's the pursuers. The distancers are much more connected to what they're gaining than what they're losing. Usually their secondary gains is control, feeling superior to the pathetic pursuer who's, who's just always begging and it's really not sexy and that turns them on. They feel wanted. Whatever they do, the pursuer will always take them and be waiting for them with open arms. They have a sense of security. The pursuer is not going anywhere. So I don't have to do anything. I'm loved just because who I am. So the pursuers love that, right? That's a secondary gain that's very strong. What they don't usually see that is that their secondary losses, that they're alone. They're alone at the top. They can't lean. They can't show weakness because the second they do that, the pursuers, they, their perception of the pursuer is going to take that and suck it and want all of it. 
So they're afraid of showing any weakness. So they have to be this facade that they're strong, that they don't need anything, that they're too cool for school. The price they pay over time is that the family, the kids, the surroundings slowly see them as not relevant. Because the distancer is always away and they see the partner that's pursuing as somebody who's trying, who's bidding for a relationship. Usually the kids align with him or her. He's the good guy. He's the one that's home. He's the one that wants more time. And if the distancer, why is she so cold to him or her? Why doesn't she give him hugs back? Why doesn't she say that she loves him? And slowly the distancers become the bad cop, unfortunately. But a lot of times they're already stuck in their castle and they can't get out of there. And it's actually a very sad dance. And I want to give you guys two examples and show you how it, how it looks and feels like in the clinic. So the first example is this couple, and he's the pursuer, and she's the distancer, and she just doesn't understand why. Why would anyone want to be a pursuer? Why do you want to be a pursuer? And this guy, he doesn't want to be the pursuer, but he can't stop. When we dig a little bit deeper, we see they both inherited this dynamic, seeing this at one generation above them. The pursuer distancer usually learn you've seen that somewhere. Somebody's modeled that for you. Inside, there's usually a core belief that I'm not worthy or I'm not worth it. I'm not worth being loved. And I track into my life, once again, people that agree to do this dance, the pursuer distancer. Two pursuers won't, won't really work and two distancers, well, that relationship won't go deeper. And it's almost like I'm looking, if I have these glasses on, so I'm looking for people, somebody who's willing to be my distancer, and I'm going to find someone, for instance, this woman, she's given just enough to believe that there's still a there's still a point to pursuing. She'll say something like, I'm 80% out of here, but there's 20% of me that's not really sure. Now, the second she says that, she's actually throwing some um, some food to the pursuer. Imagine like a dog, you're giving him some some uh, some biscuits. Just enough to keep him coming back for more, but not enough for him, him or her to feel like you're in. So the distancers have this like two cool for school, one leg in, one leg out. But they give just enough for the pursuer to do that. And what they don't realize is that they're basically locking in their relationship to something very shallow and very lonely. And they're both very alone. And another example is um, this woman, a different woman, she's a distancer, you know, early 50s. They've been together for maybe 12 years, even more, two girls. And I meet her alone and she says, I have to tell you something. You know, we've been speaking about this pursuer distancer. We drew it on the wall here. And I just think he is so pathetic. Why would he want to do this? Why would he be in a relationship for 12 years with someone who doesn't reciprocate? And then I turned around to her and I said very bluntly, you're just as pathetic as him. You don't feel like you're worthy of love, so you chose a partner that you'll feel superior to. So you have a reflected sense of self. You choose someone who you feel loves you more than you love him. He will always be there. He will be kind of your puppy. You can always feel superior to him and judge him. But you chose a relationship where it's not equal. So you're just as pathetic as him. Or you can see him that you're just as wounded as him, or you're just as sensitive as him. It doesn't really matter, but you're both at the same level. And I think that's a really big reframe for a lot of these couples to realize that and to realize that actually we're doing the same thing. We're both running away from ourselves and from each other using just the opposite technique. 
and we cast each other in these roles. And when the distancers show a little bit of warmth, for instance, when she, when the distancer asks, for instance, that woman asked him, please make me an omelet. She wanted some, some attention. The, the, the pursuers usually go, Oh, now you ask all that you weren't asking. And now you're suddenly demanding. Oh, and they go against her emotional bid, shooting that down. And once again, recasting the distancer as a distancer. And when the pursuer chooses not to pursue and focuses on herself or himself, the distancer after a while will say, Whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And they'll do a little shitstorm. They'll do a little test. They'll throw a little bit something and then take it back to come to reawaken the pursuer. Once again, we spoke about first order changes. That's just keeping it more of the same. And the real challenge is, and they keep asking these couples when I explain this theory to them, they say, so how do we change that? Or their favorite question is, how can it be different? They can't even imagine a scenario where they will both at times want the same thing when they will both respect each other's distances. They can't even imagine that. And that is one journey that they have to go by themselves because their, their next evolution is their dance is going to be decided by them. So now I want to give a few examples, a few tips of how can you um, prevent, I mean, identify, prevent, and hopefully kind of liberate yourself from the pursuer, distancer, dance. Whether you notice you are the pursuer or whether you notice you are the distancer. So the first thing is, recognize this dance how would you recognize this if you see there's a constant dynamic where you or your partner one part one side wants more more intimacy more sex more talk more time together more time alone and the other one keeps distancing finding different excuses why not to do it and this will be over time it's not a it's not a specific evening or event it's like a dance over time and usually the way you can recognize it is the distancers will kind of um there'll be this sense of uh of judgment of like this little a little bit of a pathetic kind of stance from the distancers and the pursuer will be on one hand they'll be angry they'll be begging but they'll be angry they'll be like this passive aggressive undertone because i want time with you but i'm already foreseeing the rejection so i'm already angry at you so i'm not really asking you directly i'm kind of blaming you or sucking the life out of you so it's not a bid for connection it's more like a demand it's insulted demand for intimacy so first recognize that you're in this dance or somebody you love or somebody in your workplace. And the second thing, the second step you do is notice what are you gaining from this? Instead of judging yourself and the other, make two lists. One, what are you gaining from this and what is he or she gaining from this? And obviously what you're losing, but what you're gaining and, and, and think about that. Dwell on that, reflect on that, talk about that with someone. And once again, see, dude, can I get these benefits in a different way? Can I get these secondary gains fulfilled in a more um, equal way, in a more egalitarian way? Once you see that, you need to accept that both of you are at the same level of maturity, of emotional intelligence, of differentiation, of the ability to be together. All those things, you need to balance that out in your mind. Because as long as you feel like one of you guys is superior to the other, that basically means you're locking it in. Right? The distancers think they are more collected and calm and mature than the pursuers. And the pursuers believe that they're more than the distancers because they're more emotionally available, emotionally intelligent, more open, less scarred. Right? So each side is actually thinking that he or she is better than the other. So first you need to balance that out and realize you're actually the same. 
be at the same level of pathetic, same level of amazing, same level of desperate, same level of avoiding some intimacy, same level. And if you find yourself in the pursuer role, the first thing is stop pursuing your partner. A lot of times the reason pursuers pursue is because they're afraid that if they don't pursue, the distancer will leave. Well, here's the news is the best way to make sure a distancer doesn't leave you is to stop pursuing him or her. Take that risk. It's right. There will be a chance that that distancer will leave. But the second you stop putting the pressure on them, they can actually stop running away, meet themselves, breathe, and, and kind of confront themselves and see what do they want. And in fact, many times they will actually have their own desire. They'll actually connect it to their own desire and they will initiate because up until now they've been just been busy pushing you away, pushing the pursuer off them, shaking them off. Just give me space, give me space, give me space. The second you give them space and not as a guilt trip or being offended but saying, I'm going to do this, take your time. The distancer can breathe, can stop doing this movement, pushing away and can start getting in touch with themselves. And realize with all the anxiety that it, that it provokes that perhaps the distance will leave, but let the distance choose if they want to be with you, if they want to reciprocate. Not because you ask or demand or guilt trip them, but because that's what they choose. And if you find yourself as the distancer, first of all, dare to share that, that you feel lonely. Not in a facetious way. Don't blame them. Admit that to yourself. Find a way to express that. And then slowly try to lean. Try to share an intimate feeling, thought. Try to ask for some comfort. Try to mix it up by asking gently, stepping out of your role. Now expect the pursuer to either guilt trip you or suck the life out of you because they want that. Like for instance, you'll say something nice and the pursuer will say something like, well, where was this for 20 years? I've been waiting, okay? They're trying to kind of piss you off back into the distance. They're trying to recast you the distance. So you can stand solid there. And, and I say, no, that that's that's what I'm feeling right now. Don't, don't fall for the pyrotechnics of the pursuer or the distancer. Stay solid. And I guess once you see that, once you both have that language or once you recognize that, it's time for to hold on to the meaningful endurance that David Schnarch talks about. The belief that working through this will actually going to help us grow. That by stepping out of the cage, the golden cage of the distancer, I can actually learn to be closer. <clears throat> I can find strength and meaning and connection and belonging to my family. By stepping away, by getting up from my knees from the begging position of the pursuer, I can find a newfound respect for myself. I can find my own goals, my own needs. I can stop blaming my partner for not being intimate or for not um, not allowing my, me to grow because he or she doesn't love me enough. I can finally hold on to myself. And if I believe that changing the stance can help us grow, then what's going to happen is we're going to slowly have second-order changes. We're going to have big ruptures in our relationships. Things are going to get very confusing for a while all over the system. But slowly, slowly, a new dance will be born a more fluid, a more egalitarian, a more intimate relationship where people choose to lean on each other not because they have to or they're coerced to, but because they choose. And where people can ask for that space and that distance without being offended, without having to jab.
And God willing, this growth will help many other relationships and families step out of the pursuer distancer to help raise another generation of people that feel like they're worthy and they're worthy of being loved, that they'll be able to build stable relationships, homes, families, communities, workplaces. And hopefully that is going to make the world a better place. My name is Dr. Russell Romanelli, and this was The Potential State. I'll see you next time.